0: Hello and welcome to this week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, uh, we are going to talk about this leaked internal memo drafted by the Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito uh, in America that shocked millions of people. Uh, It is uh, in and of itself uh, surprising that this was leaked, but the content of this leaked memo is they they seek to overturn what is known as Roe v. Wade, uh, which protects women's right to choose to have an abortion if they want in America. Uh, With me to discuss this this week is Laura Brown, uh, who is from the editorial board of Socialist Revolution, uh, our sister organization in the United States. Uh, Hello, Laura.
1: Hey, Joel. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Um, yeah, so do you want to just maybe explain for our listeners, uh, yeah, what is Roe 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 Ro v. Wade and and whats what is what what is the significance of this and what has happened here?
1: Yeah, I mean this is a huge attack uh, against uh, abortion rights in the U.S. Uh, Roe v. Wade is a is a ruling that the Supreme Court made in 1973 that basically says that women have a fundamental right to choose over the fate of their own bodies and and for abortion. And if this draft opinion were to come into effect, it would basically mean that uh, states could pass legislation to limit and ban access to abortion altogether, meaning that overnight millions of women in the U.S. would lose access to to get an abortion. And if you consider that uh, in the U.S., one quarter of all women uh, have an abortion by the end of their childbearing years. We're talking about millions and millions of people, uh, you know, suffering the effects of this. And uh, if you look at uh, the different states, there's 22 states uh, where it would be likely that uh, um, that uh, abortion rights would be criminalized. And already 10 states in the U.S. have uh, what they call trigger laws, which would automatically ban abortions as soon as Roe v. Wade uh, is is overturned. Um, so this is, again, a, a huge attack and uh, legal abortion access would basically uh, end for a lot of people living in the South and the Midwest across the U.S. And this would really push life in the U.S. into, you know, and, and for women in particular, into the barbarism of an, of an earlier century, something, you know, really unheard of for this century uh, in, you know, in advanced capitalist countries.
0: Yeah, wow, this is really shocking to people uh, across the world. Um, I think quite often there's this liberal myth that is peddled around that progress is this linear thing of the attainment of rights of everyone and say, oh, you socialists, you always complaining about crisis and attacks from the capitalist state and... Uh, you know, but everything's getting better all the time. That is obviously not true. And it's being proven every uh, year, I find, with new attacks on our basic fundamental rights that have been won in past uh, decades. And this is a clear example of that, that the choice in cap- with capitalism in crisis, the choice is socialism or barbarism. Um, and you have basically explained this this horrible, barbaric nature of this uh uh, that of what's happening um there is but this isn't just a fight over abstract rights i mean there's a there is a class dynamic to that i was talking a bit with with uh, laura earlier about that do you want to maybe yeah what, what is the class dynamic is this affecting all women equally
1: yeah absolutely not um you know for for rich women bourgeois women Uh, It doesn't matter if their state bans uh, access to abortion, they can travel, you know, take time of work if they work, uh, take time of work to travel wherever they need to, to a different state, uh, out of the country altogether to pay for private quality uh, abortions. But for working class people, for oppressed people, that's not going to be the case. They're not going to be able to to afford to to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, to to get access to abortion. And in reality, if you look at the statistics, in the U.S., half of all women who get an abortion live below the poverty line. So already, you know the the, the people that are are in this terrible situation where they have to choose to, uh, you know, to to have an abortion are disproportionately poor. And this also means, by the way, disproportionately black, uh, Latino and other oppressed, super oppressed layers of the population. For example, in uh, in Mississippi, 74 percent of women who received an abortion in 2019 were black, even though black women make up 40 percent of the childbearing population in that state. Um, and the number one reason why uh, people choose to uh, have an abortion is financial, because they can't afford in the first place to, to have a child in this country. Um, so all in all, this is an attack against working class women and working class people uh, generally. And therefore, it's a, it's, it is a class question and it's something that, that socialists and the, and the labor movement should be fighting against.
0: Okay. Yeah. So this is important from a Marxist point of view that we understand that there's a class dynamic to these things that this, and this also colors the the political opinions that people might have. Whereas, you know, maybe a rich woman just doesn't mind so much. They can just cross over the border to Canada, which we'll talk about that in a bit, but the vast majority of all uh, clinics that offer a Abortion services in Canada are really close to the u s. border, which is not surprising. And I think they will actually be increasingly used by rich uh, bourgeois women or upper middle class women uh, when this goes through and there starts to be restricted abortion rights in the u s. Um, so yeah, there's a there is a definite class element to all these things. This is an attack against primarily poor working class women. Um, but yeah, let's get in maybe a bit just for our listeners sake uh into the actual arguments so you said it was kind of uh yeah maybe just what is the argument of this memo about why why are they attacking Rover waiter or or you know they said it like it's egregious or something like this this was just a mistake made in 1973 but what's their argument and what why is this actually this is a slippery slope. And it's a warning, I think, to the labor movement to the and to oppressed people uh, all over. Um, can, do you want to maybe just speak to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe I can also explain a little bit of the context uh, for and the history of, of the struggle for abortions rights uh, in the US generally. Um, you know, at the beginning of the founding of the US, there were no laws that uh, regulated access to abortion or abortion rights. But starting in the early 19th century, you know, from the 1820s onward a whole number of of uh, of bans and regulations were introduced and by uh, by 1960 uh, and and really by by the time that Roe v Wade was passed in in the 70s abortion was illegal in 29 states even though it was a very common practice and a and a fairly safe practice if uh, if done legally and and with proper you know provisions performed by a doctor but 200,000 to over a million women had to undergo illegal abortions each year uh, in, in 1973. Uh, and so there was a big movement at the time in the 1960s. You had the, you know, the uh, anti-Vietnam War movement. This came after the civil rights movement. Uh, you had a lot of ferment in society. And as part of this, there was also, you know, the, the so-called second feminist wave and, and and women's movements fighting for the right, uh, for reproductive rights and, and against women's discrimination. And it's in this context that Roe v. Wade was uh, passed by the Supreme Court. And basically, it's it's based on a constitutional right. It's based on the 14th Amendment, on the, this, this thing called the right to privacy, which uh, is basically saying that a pregnant woman has a right to choose, has a right to privacy and therefore to choose whether or not to have an abortion in the sense that the government can't regulate against this right to privacy, and on that basis, effectively, that women have a constitutional right to abortion. The argument of the conservatives and, and of the, the, the judges that drafted this uh, opinion is that um, that's not the case, that the Constitution shouldn't give the right to abortion. They actually say, it's very funny, they, they were tragic, you know, that there's an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment in the US. And therefore, this this heritage should be honored more or less, you know, that's that's the basis for their argument. It's also worth noting that, um, you know, this this uh, the repeal of Roe v. Wade would potentially open the floodgates for uh, attacking a whole number of other fundamental democratic rights that have been granted over the last decades, because this 14th Amendment. Also forms the basis for uh, things like Brown v. Board of Education, the ruling in 1954 that uh, ended racial segregation. Uh, it, it's also the basis for the right to contraception. It's also the basis for you know the right to same-sex intercourse and and for same-sex marriage. Uh, and this is all in the context of other anti-discriminatory you know, bills that are being passed, uh, the, the you know, anti-LGBTQ legislation, the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida. Um, so, so this is something that's not just an issue for, for women or for people that might need to get an abortion. It's an issue that will potentially affect uh, you know, the whole of the working class and the whole of the oppressed population.
0: Yeah, so this is uh, has a much broader significance than just an attack on abortion rights, then. Uh, and this is something that needs to be fought back against tooth and nail uh, by the labor movement, by, by the general movement, um, not just in America, I think all over the world. Um, uh, there's also the issue that is the significance of this. Like, this is a leak you don't get a leak every day from the inner circles of the Supreme Court of the most powerful capitalist nation that has ever existed. So I don't know, do you want to say just a couple words about what is the significance of this? We're getting leaks from the highest bodies of the U.S. state.
1: Yeah, this is huge. Uh, you know, this is yet another political earthquake in an already polarized and unstable environment of this system that's that's in crisis. Lenin pointed out that you know one of the preconditions for uh, for a revolutionary situation is that the ruling class is divided and it can't rule in the old way. And we always say that revolutions start from the top. And the fact that you know, there's, there's cracks in the state apparatus and the ruling class is divided is being shown by, by this leak uh, and is being added on top of all the other stuff that we've seen over the last, you know, 10 years or so with Donald Trump and, and so forth. Um, and, and the ruling class is very worried about this. They've publicly said, um, you know, one of the uh, justices, one of the so-called liberal justices, Sonia Sotomayor said, uh, and I quote, will this institution survive the stench that this leak creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? If people actually believe that it's all political, how will we survive? So they're worried about the survival of their system about the survival of the institutions of American bourgeois democracy altogether and and in in fact you know the the supreme court compared to um the presidency or congress in the past it used to be viewed like this you know it had this aura of being above partisanship they're they're just neutral interpreters of the law and all these illusions are collapsing uh, it's being revealed that you know the capitalist state is not neutral; it actually represents the interest of the capitalist class um and you know in fact sixty one percent of Americans found that the Supreme Court is mainly motivated by politics, which is up from fifty percent just uh three years ago so yeah this is uh this is really revealing uh the reactionary nature of the state and of the and the of the capitalist system
0: well that's a positive thing I guess people are realizing that the Supreme Court is not on their side and they realize that this the US state is not on their side um, which from Marx's point of view is a positive is very positive uh, we'll, we'll talk about a bit about m- more about that uh, I guess in the latter half uh, of this of this podcast a, a bit around uh, what should we do about this we should we rely on the Supreme Court should we rely on the state um, but yeah this leak uh, and and those comments that you've read out here show that they're worried that they're there the mask will be lifted (laughs) and the mask is being lifted and that people have no faith in the state which is not their state and working-class people are starting to realize it and i think this is one of those big shockers for a lot of people for millions of people uh for hundreds of millions of people around the world Um, a lot of people. I'm going to comment. This is mostly about the United States, but I'm going to just briefly comment a bit about a lot of people in Canada in the movement. Are they're shocked by this, and they're wondering what will the effects be on Canada? So yeah, the uh, the. Abortion rights in Canada, I mean, it's Canada's kind of considered, oh, an abortion, abortion friend, uh, 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 sorry, abortion rights is a friendly country for women's rights. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a myth. Uh, but but you know, there there is a certain uh, uh, argument there that has power in people's minds. And it is true that I don't think that this will immediately lead to all of a sudden everyone rolling back abortion rights in Canada. Uh, uh, and and actually, most parties, even the Conservative Party, seems to have uh, at least openly sort of been saying they're not going to open that can of worms. They don't want to go on a and, and they I think they you know it's partially opportunism or actually mainly opportunism. They're going to loo- they'd lose the election if they ran on that. Uh, but the big problem is, and this gets back to what uh, what it is all about. It's not just an abstract right. It's the question in Canada. And I think the question, you you can correct me if I'm wrong, in the U.S. is about access. So, uh, in Canada, this is like you have the right, but unless you're in a major city, uh, you don't have access. Now, this is actually quite simply a procedure that can be performed in any hospital. But only one in six hospitals in Canada offer abortion services. Uh, and, And in many provinces have conservative governments that are against the right, but they don't withdraw the right. Right, right. What they do is they underfund and they limit access. So, for a lot of women that live outside of major cities, it becomes impossible to get. So, it is, for all intents and purposes, you don't have. You have the right, but what is the right worth if you can't realize that right? Um, so, yeah, it is a question. of. So, I could see that uh, conservative forces will be social conservative forces like the religious right and whatnot will be emboldened by this in canada and they will maybe not directly through the federal state try to take away the right uh, although that is not off the cards that can happen immediately we should have no illusions in the canadian state uh, and the canadian courts Uh, but yeah the immediate thing will probably be further restriction of access to abortion services and we must fight against that uh, and fight for uh, access, fully funded access, to abortion services for everyone across the country. Um, but yeah, I don't know, is this, uh, y- y- you mentioned earlier that there was like, uh, this is about state rights and whatnot, but already in the US, like in many states, abortion, you might have the right, but you don't have the access, uh, um, I don't know, is there any, uh, anything you want to come in with regards to that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as Marxists, obviously we defend the right to, to any democratic right on paper. And on that basis, we defend Roe v. Wade because it, in on paper, it guarantees the basic right to abortion. But yeah, that's that's not enough, and it doesn't guarantee uh, access. And actually, yeah, it's interesting that Roe v. Wade is not based on explicitly defending, uh, you know, women's rights or ending women's oppression. Uh, or defending a woman's right over her own body. It was based on this vague sort of abstract concept of the constitutional right to privacy in general, which from the beginning, ever since the 70s, left it open to attacks and to being rolled back. And that basically other competing rights, such as state rights, could uh, overrule this other right. And so that's what we've seen from the beginning, uh, even just uh, the fact that th- they're separate clinics, it's not part of general healthcare. This was a compromise, by the way, that the Democrats uh, uh, made to right-wing democrats not even to republicans to have separate abortions private uh, abortion clinics private uh, abortion providers uh that therefore were vulnerable to attacks from the beginning to uh legislation that you know makes it harder for them to to exist in the first place Uh, but then uh you know that that has meant that today 90 percent of all u.s counties don't have an abortion provider. So already today, before the repeal of Roe v. Wade, you have a whole number of, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of, of people who have to travel for miles and miles to be able to have access to a provider, um, who have to wait, you know, uh, for a long time, waiting list that actually matters if you're trying to have an abortion, because then obviously the fetus is growing uh, in inside your body. Uh, and of course, especially since 2019, and this is part, and maybe we can talk about it uh, as well, but this is part of this sort of so-called culture war since 2019 there's been all these laws that have been introduced we're talking about hundreds and thousands of of laws being introduced in state legislatures many of them being passed like for the the most recent sort of high profile one was uh last year in 2021 uh a texas ban that um basically forbids uh the right to abortion once a heartbeat is detectable uh, which is actually, you know, it's a very weird way of phrasing it because at that point, this is, we're talking about approximately when the, when the embryo is six weeks old, there is no heart. There, there's not a heart, there's just like electrical impulses in the cells. And this is before most women even know that they are pregnant or can feel that they are pregnant. Um And this also didn't have any provisions in the cases of rape or incest. Um, so this was a huge attack. And it's been, you know, the, the Supreme Court voted to maintain to to not to not uh, repeal this law in, in Texas last year. But a whole number of other states have have, um, you know, like Oklahoma introduced a bill along the same lines this year, partly because a lot of of texans were going over crossing borders and going to oklahoma so uh, actually abortion clinics in oklahoma saw a 2500 percent increase in the number of patients from Texas, um, so now Oklahoma introduced a similar legislation. Alabama signed a, a draconian bill, uh, you know, in, in 2019, the Human Life Protection Act, which pretty much made abor- abortion illegal in all cases. Florida introduced legislation. Mississippi uh, introduced legislation, which is actually what kind of triggered this discussion on, on Roe v. Wade in the first place. So yeah, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade had the right to abortions on paper, in practice, there's been attack after attack after attack on this fundamental right uh, since the beginning.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the culture war. Maybe we can get a bit into that. But yeah, this is connected to like, why, why is this happening now? Like, like I mentioned, a lot of people, kind of liberals and reformists, will will kind of present this picture of constant progress upwards. Uh, Roe v. Wade was 1973, and now they're withdrawing in 2022. 20, but, well, yeah, why is that happening now? And, you know, this is in the general context of this, yeah, this 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 uh, culture war of epic proportions that is launched <laughs> I, I'd say by both Republicans and Democrats but maybe you could you could exp- explain a bit what this is for a Canadian audience because a lot of people see the effects of it and it does have its effects on Canadian politics um, uh, but yeah you want to speak a bit like why yeah why is this happening uh, right now?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, this is really the the product of the general crisis of capitalism. There's huge instability, huge polarization. In the United States in particular, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement uh, just two years ago, which which really scared the ruling class. Right now, uh, we are seeing the unionization wave, the rise in in trade unionism. Last year, we had so-called striketober, right, a a wave of strikes as well. Uh, In the context of at the highest inflation in 40 plus years, we have something like 8.5% inflation right now in the US. Uh, it's uh, in the context of the dimmest public view of the US economy in more than 10 years. And so basically, these issues, uh, the question of abortion rights, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, uh, you know, the the Black struggle and and the the nature of U.S. history and whether it's racist or not, all of this is being used in a very cynical and very deliberate way by both parties, by the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, which are both capitalist parties, to divide and conquer the working class to sow divisions and, and confusion. Uh, but obviously, neither of them care about these issues. They're, they're used for election year uh, fodder. You know, they're. Uh, um, in fact, it, it hasn't always been this way that the Democrats defend abortion and the Republicans are against it. This is relatively recent. Uh, in, in the past, the conservative, so-called, you know, the right wing. Uh, they actually leaned on segregation and, and racism to sort of prop up their own voter base. And when segregation was uh, was uh, was abolished, that's when they made this conscious turn towards propping up this anti-abortion sentiment. Um, In the past, actually, a lot of Republicans sort of defended the right to abortion, again, on this question of like liberty, like kind of a a libertarian approach to it. Like, well, individuals should have a right to to choose what to do with with themselves and and their bodies. Uh, People like uh, even people like Reagan, who then became one of the most fervent uh, sort of anti-choice people in the Republican Party. In the past, uh, used to be more pro-choice, and uh, he actually signed an act in California when he was when he was uh, governor of California in 1967. Uh, he he passed a law that expanded access to abortion rights in California. Um, people like uh, like Mitt Romney, who ran against Obama in in 2012 on the question of uh, partly on this question of being against abortion before that he was actually uh in favor of abortion in 1994 he had a debate against ted kennedy a democrat ted kennedy was against abortion Rights and uh, and Mitt Romney was pro-choice, uh, so they just flip-flop depending on on what's convenient for them, uh, for their for sort of uh, dividing and, and 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 finding their niche in terms of getting more votes and and propping up their their voter base, uh, and the same could be said uh, about you know Obama Biden and how little we care about it, uh, Biden himself in the past said that, uh, that a woman doesn't have the sole right to say what should happen to her body. He said that Roe v. Wade went too far uh, and he himself in the past voted uh, against uh, multiple uh, you know, laws that would expand access to abortion. Um, such as, uh, you know, he even has an amendment that has his own name, the Biden Amendment, uh, which uh, which stops any foreign U.S. aid from being used for abortion related medical research. So, uh, yeah, uh, this is this is the, the, the reason they're using it. It's almost almost Machiavellian. It's a very conscious effort to divide and conquer the working class in in, uh, in an environment where the working class is is rising up and, and wanting to fight back against the crisis of capitalism.
0: Yeah, that helps us to really to understand uh, why this is happening now. I mean, we did a couple episodes of the podcast, or one in particular, where we talked about this rising, uh, Oh, really, I think the working class in America is starting to realize that it's a class and it needs to fight back collectively. And you see this wave of unionizations, and it's shocking to the capitalists. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans, I mean, have been involved in uh, in trying to crush these unionization waves uh, as they both were in trying to undermine BLM and all sorts of different movements. They use different methods sometimes but they're all the same. Um, so, I mean, we can talk a bit about that in a minute, but yeah, this I think you, you talked about it well, that they, they kind of flip-flop and there's a lot of hypocr- hypocrisy and opportunism on these questions. Um, they're both bourgeois parties they're both parties of the capitalist class and they're going to use whatever wedge issue they can to attempt to gain support from a section of the working class against the other section uh, and i think the u.s has shown this on this issue and many other issues uh, more clearly than uh... than um, than anywhere else um... another thing that we haven't really talked about it so much but haven't the democrats been in power for a long time <laughs> i mean Before Trump, uh, you have Biden now, but before Trump, you had Obama. Uh, Before in the 90s, you had Clinton. Uh, Why didn't they just simply pass this? And they had majorities in the House and the Senate for a lot of this. Why didn't they simply pass this into law? I believe both Obama and Biden even promised to do so, did they not?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what they do, right? They promise things when uh, they're running for election, and then they don't deliver. And actually, because it's to their advantage to be able to hold this over. the movement and say, well, vote for us, and then we'll give you this, um, you know, this little goody, this uh, this right to this and, and the right to that, and then of course they don't uh, they don't do it when they they would be able to, you know, they they absolutely could. Uh, they are using the excuse now the, the, of um, uh, Manchin, who's a Democrat, who's who's a right winger, uh, and and they're saying, oh, we can't because of him, or we can't because of the filibuster. Well, they could end the filibuster uh, if they wanted to. They they have a majority, right? So uh, all of this again just just reveals the the hypocrisy and the, the failure of, of the Democratic Party to deliver anything worthwhile for workers, and the fact that it pretends to be. Uh, a worker-friendly party, and you know, a party that that's quote-unquote liberal, but but it's not. It's a capitalist party, just like the Republicans. There's very little difference between the two parties, and and this is actually why this so-called culture war is possible in the first place. The fact that the working class doesn't have political representation, and therefore all this discontent, uh, this disillusionment with the institutions, this anger, polarization. Is reflected within the context of those two parties in a very ideologically confused way uh, that doesn't lead to greater class consciousness and, and instead leads to, to division and, and, and more chaos. So that's something that we need to consciously uh, point out and, and, and fight against. We can't have, uh, we, you know, as, as Marxists, as socialists, we must have zero confidence in the Democratic Party.
0: Uh, Many Canadians will probably draw the connection with the liberals who promise all sorts of things. I mean, they even they've been promising pharmacare a pharmacare plan for 30, I think over 30 years. I mean, John Cruchin first started promising that in the 90s, used it to get a huge majority, and then never did anything. Uh, And then Paul Martin liberals never did anything. Uh, And uh, and now the Justin Trudeau liberals have done nothing. Uh, And so they actually recently brought it up again, as a way to rope the NDP into a uh, they call it a supply and confidence uh, deal to prop them up for three years. and they But they, there's no concrete anything. It's we will maybe do it if you vote. Uh, before the next election, they're going to promise it. That's what they said. You have to elect them again to see them not do it. Uh, but there's been many examples of that. Yeah, I think the takeaway is don't trust liberals. <laughs> don't trust small l big l liberals democrats whatever don't trust any of these capitalist parties i mean the the thing is because they 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 might campaign on promises in order to get your vote but then when in power they know who their real masters are and they bend to them um and the only way and we can talk about that maybe in the second half here the only way to get anything is is rely on our own strength right and working class people fight for what we want and against any attacks, and maybe they will, on that basis, give us some rights or, or, or stop violating our rights, kind of like Roe v. Roe v. Wade, as you mentioned. Huh?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and by the way, add this to the list of other promises that Biden made during the uh, the his campaign. Uh, you know, he promised he would raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. He has not delivered on that. Uh, he promised that you know he'd fight for free college free education that he would cancel student uh student loans that he would have you know have climate action that would really change the situation with uh, with climate change none of that has happened and this is the history of you know what it, what it what it gives to vote democrats uh which actually just kind of makes the whole political landscape shift further and further and further to the right uh based on this argument of uh lesser evilism um so so yeah i mean the only way forward is uh to fight for our own party.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good uh, point to take a small commercial break. We'll get into that point that uh, Laura has raised. Uh, But yeah, you're listening to uh, uh, This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast put on by Fightback. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. Um, We Uh, If you're listening to this podcast and you like what you hear and you want to get involved, and I hope that's the whole point, you got to get involved. You have to, you can't rely, you can't just think that everything's going to get better. It's not uh, the only way that we can get, make anything better is if we Fight for it as working class people. Um, So, yeah, uh, there are many ways you can get involved. I encourage you to go to our website at marxist.ca or our French website at marxist.qc.ca and you can get a subscription to our paper. We have two publications. We have one in English, Fight Back, that comes out every two weeks. I really encourage you to get a subscription to that. Uh, You could find, again, the information on our website at marxist.ca or get a copy of our French, get a subscription to our French paper. La Socialist, which is on marxist.qc.ca. Uh, yeah, you can find all the information there, and that is a monthly publication. But yeah, we also encourage people, uh, w- you know, we don't make any, we're not in this to make money, we don't make any money off our subscriptions, generally speaking, uh, all that goes into producing the paper, uh, which takes a lot of time and effort. And if you want to actually go above and beyond that, and really help us build the forces of Marxism uh, in Canada and internationally, uh, we encourage you to become a solidarity subscriber, which is to give us a monthly amount uh, that will really help fund our activities. So, yeah, please do that. Go to our website. uh, And yeah, we have been doing this thing. I'll read out the the, the latest subscribers we have. We have six over the past week since last Tuesday, which is pretty good. Um, We have... Uh, for fight back, we have three: we have Tallulah, Scott, and Bronwyn. Thank you very much for subscribing to our paper. And for La Riposte Socialist, we have Rachel, Andre, and Francis. Thank you very much for subscribing to La Riposte Socialist. Uh, you're really helping us build our subscriber base. Um, and I inc- again encourage you to subscribe. And I will read your name out next week. Uh, yeah, I was going to maybe say, I mean, we've got Laura here from Socialist Revolution in America. You can go to the website socialistrevolution.org if you want to learn more about American politics. And if you are American and you want to support uh, or, or the building of the forces of Marxism in the belly of the beast, in the belly of the beast, the most powerful capitalist country on the face of the planet, we need to build the forces of Marxism there. It is pressing, and I hope this, this example uh, uh, that we're talking about today shows demonstrates the importance of the need to fight for a socialist perspective in America and to do that go to socialistrevolution.org and yeah get a subscription to their paper and support them in any way you can and yeah follow them online and social media and whatnot Um, yeah so I just wanted to to plug that a bit because we have our we're all part of the international Marxist tendency and we're trying to build the forces of Marxism uh, uh, not just in Canada but in America and internationally Um, getting back into it so we don't want to be just cynical or pessimistic it's it's a it's a shocking horrible thing that's happening uh but that is the nature of capitalism in crisis and uh so but but it's not that there's nothing that can be done there is something that can be done and a lot of people are wondering what can we do about this how do we fight back so i don't know uh lord do you want to maybe come in like what is is there a movement against this what is that movement like And, and 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 what do we need to do
1: yeah there is uh, a mood to fight back people are fighting back against this uh, egregious attack and sometimes you know we we say that uh sometimes the whip of uh, reaction is needed to spur the revolution forward and i think in a way uh you know this is going to anger a lot of people affect a lot of people and you know hundreds of thousands probably millions have already come out into the streets uh in city after city to, to protest and it's it's a very inspiring the fact that there is all this rage and and people just coming out and wanting to 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 fight against uh, this attack um, and it it's almost reminiscent uh, of you know things like the women's march in in twenty sixteen the fact that you know uh, rightfully so a lot of people. Wanted, didn't want Trump to be president and came out into the streets to fight against this. Uh, so in that sense, it's it's very inspiring. And of course, you know, our organization, Socialist Revolution, has been out in the streets to support this movement uh, and, and to be a part of that. But another uh, issue with it, uh, and it's connected to the question that, you know, there isn't, we were talking about it, there isn't a working class party in this country. There isn't a party or a mass organization that's really providing a program and cohesion to this movement. Uh, And therefore, you know, it's been to a degree, it hasn't been uh, coordinated nationally, it's been a bit disorganized. And there's a lack of of clarity, I think, as to what's needed to actually uh, successfully fight back. You know, uh, we could say protest is important and necessary. Mass protest is important and necessary, but in and of itself it's not enough.
0: Yeah, so that gets into the question of leadership. I think we have in the last few years seen mass, mass movements in the US. I mean, uh, even the latest, the movement in the summer of 2020 uh, after the killing of George George Floyd, I think was bigger than the civil rights movement. I've seen numbers to that effect. Uh, and yet Kyle Rittenhouse gets off. <laughs> uh, you get a number of things like this uh, and the racism and the police brutality continue and a lot of the fancy promises made by different politicians well in Minneapolis or elsewhere have fallen flat there hasn't been fundamental changes um, so I think yeah this shows that a simple movement a spontaneous mass movement is not enough and I think a lot of people are starting to realize that we need to get organized and there needs to be a plan and there needs to be leadership and there needs to be uh, uh yeah, the labor movement, I think, needs to play a fundamental role in this, that that abortion rights, I think there's this thing that's parroted around by the liberals about it's sort of this defense of an abstract right for women uh, exclusively. But, but I think the Marxist point of view is that we'd argue, one, we already made the point that it's a, there's a class dynamic here. The bourgeois women, for all intents and purposes, actually, this isn't a threat to them. They can go outside the country and get get an abortion in Canada or elsewhere. Uh, that's very easy. But poor working class women, this is a specifically attack on poor working class women. And I would say, it's to broaden it out, it's an attack on the working class as a whole. That, that abortion rights are workers' rights. An injury to one is an injury to all. And we can't insist on this point enough as the capitalists are continually attacking different sections of the working class with by different means and attempting to divide the workers so if women if the rights of women are attacked it is an injury to the working class as a whole because it is used to suppress the class struggle, divide the class struggle, and it is part of this culture war thing that has reached a fevered pitch in the US and has been used by the capitalist class as a whole and capitalist politicians. Um, So yeah, I think the fundamental thing is for the labor leadership to come in and mobilize the broad working class and the defense of the working class, the defense of working class women in particular, uh, and to fight back against the attempts to divide the workers, especially when we, as we have this this uh, this growing working-class consciousness and unionization waves that can be connected, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, what are the labor leaders doing? Is there much going on in terms of labor leadership?
1: Uh, unfortunately, no, and, and I think that that's absolutely the key. We're seeing there's labor ferment, uh, a lot of young workers in particular, Uh, are in favor of socialism, uh, stand in defense of all people's rights, women's rights, uh, and want to defend the rights of all minorities and and, and the whole working class in this country. And so the labor movement should absolutely be going into the offensive. There's no reason why, uh, you know, they, they, they couldn't call a general strike and say, you know, we're going to be at the forefront of this movement. We're going to fight for the right to abortion uh, as part of a broader struggle against, you know, exploitation and oppression under capitalism, you know, as part of the struggle for to unionize Amazon, as part of the struggle for higher wages, as part of the struggle for universal free public health care. All of these demands could rally millions of people to the cause and would cut across the precisely these these, you know, so-called culture war and 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 would serve to unite uh, the the, the majority of the population to defend uh, the the rights of of women and and of the the whole working class. And yeah, protest alone isn't enough if you don't have that leadership and if you don't have that clear set of, of demands and that program that can actually provide a way forward to channel the rage, channel the energy into a force to actually transform things, to actually change society. It wasn't enough even for BLM, which was the largest mass movement in the history of the United States, where you had 10% of the entire population coming out into the streets. Uh, Back then, we also pointed out this needs to be connected with the force of the working class, because the working class is the class that controls the levers of society, that can shut down all of society uh, in order to, to, to force uh, the ruling class uh, for, for their, their demands. And protest, by the way, wasn't enough even in 1973 to achieve Roe v. Wade. It wasn't just because a few people came out into the street and ask nicely or not nicely or whatever, please, you know, grant us the right to abortion. It was in the context of a very deep crisis of US capitalism. It came after the civil rights movement, which was a very scary movement for for the ruling class, which by the way, uh, the Democratic Party ended up uh, co-opting as we know. It was after the assassination of MLK, which spurred on a whole number of uprisings and and so-called riots uh, and and, and a huge anger. It's in the context of the anti-war movement, you know, against the Vietnam War where uh, U.S. imperialism got Defeat it uh, and and so as part of all this, it was after the the Watergate scandal, so there was a all all, all these problems that uh, the ruling class was facing. In this context, the movement for reproductive rights for women's rights was able to force this concession as a byproduct of that struggle, uh, but as you can see as well, even when you win these rights they can be taken back at any point as part of, the, you know, of austerity, as part of tax uh, uh, because of the crisis of capitalism. Uh, and so those rights are only worth our ability to fight for them, you know, to actually come out into the streets and defend them and, and demand more.
0: Yeah, precisely. I think that's the key lesson for today. Uh, uh, so yeah, we need to rely on our own strength and the working class and the leadership of the working class needs to mobilize the working class in that regard uh... that you know quite often people see the super structural form of the law passed and think oh the people that passed the law were so wonderful that's rarely the case actually they did it in the context of social turmoil and working class struggle and mass movements and crisis Uh, as a concession to try to placate the movement right and i think that's the key lesson from these things and that's the key lesson for today that you need to we need to build that movement on uh, against the system and against the bourgeois parties and and that's how we can win Uh, this is connected to also uh, so, so we believe in that, and I think a lot of people agree with that. I think a lot of young people they want to build a movement, but they just, they just, you know, they don't see how I think sometimes, and so that's why the question of leadership is central. Uh, but this is, yeah. Then the, on the other side, there's a, I think a, a, a prevalent argument. You can see is that, oh, this happened because Trump changed the Supreme Court. And so therefore, we need to elect more Democrats so that they'll just change it back and then they can reinstitute Roe v. Wade or something like that. Uh, and that would be that's the way to go. Um, but yeah, what it, do you have any words to say about that?
1: Yeah. And, and the problem is that precisely because there is a vacuum of leadership, then something fills that vacuum, and you know that the Democrats, uh, the all these liberal arguments enter into the uh, into the picture. Uh, we talked earlier about how the Democrats, haven't done anything uh, in the 50-plus years uh, since Roe v. Wade was passed to actually make it into a law uh, to actually meaningfully, you know, uh, guarantee the, the, the access to abortion across the country. Um, and this is, uh, you know, this is the the usual argument of of lesser evilism that's so prevalent in U.S. politics. Uh, and I think that more than ever, uh, really, if anything, uh, the fact that Roe v. Wade is being repealed reveals the bankruptcy of the Democratic Party, the bankruptcy of relying on these bourgeois institutions to to guarantee our rights um, and, and the fact that voting Democrat hasn't guaranteed this right uh, up till now. and there's no reason that we should hope or expect that it's going to guarantee it uh, you know, if we vote for them, come the next election. And in fact, there is a lot of pressure among certain layers to say, well, you know there's there's midterm elections uh, later this year so you need to vote democrat you must vote democrat uh and and hope that they're going to pass legislation and and this and that but the reality is and i think this is this is a very positive development that especially among young workers young people they're fed up with the democrats they understand that the true nature of of the party has been revealed as as part of this uh scandal and young people understand you know we make this argument uh, when we go to the protests and people are like, yeah. The Democrats suck. We already know that, you know, so what's the alternative? And that's where we have to bring in positive demands. What is the alternative? And the alternative is to fight for a working class party to have not just the labor movement take a lead, but for the labor movement to also uh, fight for a party of our own, to have political representation and a voice for the working class uh, as well uh, politically. Uh, You know, it's, it's a tragedy, really. We talk about the rising tide of labor in the U.S. We're seeing the beginning of the beginning of that, by the way, but but there's huge potential. And yet the labor leadership continues to support Democrats and they use members' dues to, you know, fund the Democratic Party, which is an anti-working class party, anti-labor party, because it's a capitalist party. It, you know, not just abortion rights. The Democratic Party could have... Repealed uh, Taft-Hartley and other anti-union legislation if they wanted to, but they don't want to because they represent the interests of the capitalist class.
0: Yeah, so I think this is there's a couple of key points that come out of this. Uh, it's kind of connected to Marxist theory. Really, uh, this is not our state; it's a capitalist state, and those are not this. The Democrat part, the Democratic Party, is not our party. Um, Uh, And so, yeah, we we need, working class people need their own, they need an independent party. They need their own organization. Uh, Yeah, so uh, this is not our justice system. And there's no guarantees there i think you've explained it well uh so what's more important than electing democrats i mean it may be maybe democrats would get elected and implement something but it's not because they even want to i think it's because they're scared and they might that wing of the ruling class might acquiesce to certain demands with the goal of co-opting the movement i think so uh, no, we shouldn't have any illusions in that. And I think, I mean, the polls show that the vast majority of people, uh, maybe not the majority, but a huge section, uh, more people than than vote Democrat or Republican, are would want a third party, uh, support things that neither of the parties support, or uh, anti-war, uh, want want free health care, uh, support BLM, um, uh, are against police violence and stuff like this. Uh, So I think that really shows that there is a market for it, a huge market for a workers' party on a socialist program as well. I mean, the socialism is a key one. Young workers today are very wide open for fighting for a different system. Capitalism for them is not this happy paradise that is presented to you on Fox News. It's a nightmare. And that's why you're seeing these unionization waves are largely led by young young workers who got nothing to lose you know they got everything to gain by fighting for their own interests so yeah i think yeah the creation of a workers party is is not an abstract debate and i can already see it people saying oh yes i agree in the abstract however this election is the key the most important election because of roe v wade and we will da 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 when have you heard that before? I'm old enough to remember when people said you have to vote for uh, Al Gore because George Bush is a fascist. Um, now they're kind of uh, <laughs> embracing him as better than Donald Trump. I mean, we got to turn our backs on these types. We need to build our own party. And our comrades in the US, I think you guys are doing a fantastic job in arguing for this. And as an as an international, we argue for an independent working class party uh, so we can present our own interests and attack both the parties of the capitalist class and in the US I think it's never been a better time and so I think yeah there's lots of you know these figures that talk a good game but are all connected to the Democratic Party like sometimes I agree with some some of the things that a, a lot of the things that AOC says or or Bernie even you know denounces the billionaire class you can't be against the billionaire class in a billionaire party you know <laughs> so you gotta break from the Democrats and we gotta working class needs its own party um, yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. and and and, like you said earlier, uh, if the Democrats do anything with these movements is co-opt them and look at what they did with BLM. Like you said, you know, millions of people come out into the streets. and so now they get scared and they promise, oh, we're going to abolish the police. Oh, yes, we're going to defund the police. Uh, Then we're going to defend the police in five years or we're going to appoint a committee to discuss how we should defend the police and now look, look at where things are now. Actually, the Democratic Party is the party of law and order. They're, they're actually increasing police budgets. Uh, and we know what that means for the vast majority of working class people, oppressed people, black people in particular. It's going to mean more repression, more police violence. Uh, and so the track record of the Democratic Party is uh, it should uh, should be. It's it's, it's its own argument against the Democratic Party, against working class people having any confidence in it. Um, But not just the Democratic Party, again, I think this issue of abortion rights, this issue of of Roe v. Wade, should really reveal the reactionary nature of all other institutions of American bourgeois democracy. The police, the military, the courts, the laws, the prisons, the presidency, the legislature, all of these are institutions, they're tools by the ruling class. For the ruling class, that are used to keep the majority of the population in check, uh, and obviously represent their interests. If you look even just at the uh, at the history of the Supreme Court, or, or you know this question of the Constitution, why should nine unelected, unaccountable judges have the right to take away or grant any you know anything any any rights to the population? You know why should this be in the hand of, of, uh, of those nine unelected judges? I, I said earlier that one of the arguments uh, both to grant roe v wade and to repeal it is on the basis of the constitution but why uh should any of our rights be based on a document that was written 200 years ago by a minority of uh, and voted on as well by a minority of white male property owners uh, you know, to kind of appease and, and compromise with uh, slaveholders, right? We don't base ourselves, these are, these are all reactionary institutions. In fact, the Supreme Court, for all of its history, uh, you know, it's, it's defended, uh, for, for, for the majority part of its existence, it's defended slavery, and it's defended um, uh, segregation and racism, right? 150 years ago, Uh, The Supreme Court said that black people weren't citizens and that they could never be considered citizens under the Constitution, and that therefore slavery couldn't be banned in the US. In 1896, the Supreme Court said that uh, equal but separate accommodations didn't violate the 14th Amendment, and therefore that racial segregation was constitutional. And this paved the way for the horrors of of Jim Crow for, for decades later actually just to show how reactionary and how recent a lot of these reactionary laws are uh up till the 1950s and 1960s a vast majority of u.s states had laws that were called anti-miscegenation laws which are laws that uh that uh, prohibited interracial marriage and interracial sexual relations up until 1967 you know, dozens of states had these laws. Uh, This is, you know, just over uh, 50 years ago. Um, And so uh, this, again, is revealing the bankruptcy, illegitimacy of the whole framework and foundation of America bourgeois democracy, which is a system that's undemocratic, And that is based on the exploitation and oppression of the vast majority of the population. So, yes, no confidence in the Democrats, no confidence in the Supreme Court, no confidence in any of these institutions. And people want to see that kind of change. You know, we talk to young people, they support socialism, they support communism, they want the whole system to go. And that's what we're fighting for, you know, our revolution.
0: Yeah, I think connected to that is the the question of the epoch we're living in. We're living in a revolutionary epoch. The I mean, capitalist system's in, in 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 crisis, is in on in decline, and it's creating political polarization and mass movements of epic proportions over the last number of years. Since the last economic crisis and since the two thousand eight two thousand nine uh, so-called financial crash, which is a, a crisis of the capitalist system, you've had jesus just like unprecedented social upheaval not just relegated to one area of the world but all over the world and and i think this is just the beginning and on the question of fighting for women's rights we've seen inspiring movements all over the world Uh, spain poland ireland argentina and we've seen victories on this question that were not because of some nice liberal politicians or in the senate or the house or something like that but it's because of millions of people mobilizing the streets men and women and people of all backgrounds mobilizing to defend the basic democratic rights um of working class women um And so i think that yeah we have uh this is the model that we need to base ourselves on um and 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 we shouldn't think that it's not possible we live in a revolutionary epoch this is of course entirely possible and it, mass movements and even revolutions are inevitable in this context but what we need is good leadership and i think that's what we have highlighted here that unfortunately the labor movement in the u.s the labor leaders in the u.s have not been playing hardly any role uh in this and are and many of them are tied to the democratic party establishment the the main ones uh, and so we need to fight for an independent class perspective and independent class leadership that is not just fighting against attacks. Uh, too often, the movement is only defensive. We're just fighting against an attack from well, it could be the Democrats or the Republicans or the Liberals or the Conservatives or any party of the capitalist class uh, or the bourgeoisie as a, as a whole. Uh, in any industry, you know, attacking the right to unionize or, or or whatnot, as we're seeing in the U.S. But we need to fight for a positive program. I think that's one thing that we're doing here. And it is not just about rights as well. We as we discussed with abortion rights, it's about access. And this comes down to a question of dollars. There is more than enough wealth. There is more than enough wealth in our society uh, to provide access to, uh, to abortion uh, all over for every working class woman. Uh, there is there is absolutely no barrier to that economically it's entirely possible but that wealth does not we do not have control over the wealth that we produce and this is connected to uh, the fight for uh, a new form of society that we're not so that we're not fighting an uphill battle Uh, and that's what socialism is all about Um, and yeah maybe that's that leads a bit into the question of um, why this isn't just a fight for, for, for rights like Marxists and, and and also the Marxist approach on the question of abortion. Um, like we we're not, sometimes the right wing tries to paint the left as being pro-abortion. We're not pro-abortion. Abortion is not, is not a decision that women make lightly or are happy to do. It is a very tough decision. And the vast majority of that, and I think, Laura, you have some stats about this, is, is, is made because of economic conditions from poor women that just can't afford to have a kid. And, and, and there are many connections to that. So, yeah, this is a fight for a society, a socialist society uh, in which people have a genuine, women have a genuine right, to, a genuine choice. Right now, it's not actually a choice for many women. And you want to try to ban abortion? abortion's going to happen anyway. And it has for all of human history, and it will happen in unsafe conditions in which the life of the woman is at risk. So, uh, I don't know, do you have any information about the, the United States of why this isn't simply a fight for a, a right, right? And and, and how Marxists approach the question. We're fighting for a, a new type of society in which women, de- women will ha- actually have a real choice about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is not just a fight uh, over whether or not uh, people should have a right to abortion. Uh, it's a question of what life are you offering people altogether? And I think in the U.S. more, even more so than in any other countries, because of the nature of privatized health care uh, and, and how profit enters into the equation, this is a very stark reality. Uh, the fact that for women who rely on wages to survive, which is the vast majority of, of women, an unplanned pregnancy can plunge us into poverty, into homelessness, into you know lifelong medical debt, uh, and therefore attacks on reproductive rights aren't just going to harm people with uteruses. They're going to you know they're going to harm the, the whole of the working class and and the future generations that come into this this world on the basis of, of poverty. Uh, just to give some uh, some numbers, uh, the uh, and, and and also to your point by the way that banning abortion won't mean women. Uh, will not get an abortion. It's just gonna mean that they're gonna have to do so through legal methods and that it's going to be criminalized. Uh, when performed properly, an abortion is extremely safe. It's it's one of the safest uh, gynecological procedures, it's safer than childbirth, by the way, and then and, and pregnancies uh, themselves. Uh, there's data from the CDC that shows that in the US, There are less than one or actually less than 0.5 deaths for every 100,000 legal abortions compared to 24 deaths for every 100,000 live births. And the U.S. ranks surprisingly low in maternal mortality rate. It's the worst ranks, the lowest of any sort of advanced industrialized country. And it's number fifty-five or so in the world, uh, you know, uh, much lower than that Russia, than, than you know some other countries that you you wouldn't expect to be doing better than the U.S. in terms of the risk of of just pregnancy and, and giving birth. Uh, and again, by the way, black women in the U.S. are particularly affected by this. Um, they actually have the 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 risk for pregnancy-related complications and, and mortality is three times higher than that of white women. So it's a huge issue. Uh, and if you're going to, you know, to 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 force people to to go on with a pregnancy that they don't want and with a birth that they don't want and can't afford you're also forcing them to accept all the risks and, and consequences that go with this, which is not just a health question. It's also a financial question. And it's extremely expensive uh, to give birth in the U.S. and then to raise a child on top of that. Right. Uh, I think the average. Um, the the average cost uh, just to give birth in a hospital is something like eleven thousand dollars. That's if there's no complications. It's just like you know the baby comes out. That's eleven thousand uh, dollars. You add on top of that pre and postnatal care. That might go up to thirty thousand dollars. Uh, not everyone has, you know, uh, insurance and so on. So this is a lot of money, considering that uh, the average bank account balance for for Americans is something like three thousand um, dollars. And then uh, on on top of that, you know, you have to consider things like uh, childcare. Childcare costs are are huge in the U.S. Uh, I think the average cost of childcare is almost fifteen thousand dollars a year. On top of that, um, you know, uh, consider higher education, what it's going to cost to, 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 uh, to, uh, to provide health care for that child and so forth. Uh, but also, uh, you know, the, the levels of poverty that, that exists in this country, which is the richest country in the world. There's 13 million children in America who don't get enough food to eat in the first place. Uh, and like I said earlier, 50% of the people getting abortions live below the poverty line. So this isn't just a question over, um, yeah, over whether or not to, to, to choose, oh, I want to have an abortion because, oh, you know, I don't like that. You know, I, I don't want a baby. It's a financial question for it. That's the first reason, according to statistics, the main reason why, why women choose to have an abortion or are forced by, con- by their conditions of life to have an abortion is financial. Uh, and so it, this is not just a struggle. First of all, uh, it's a struggle for free public health care. Uh, that includes abortion rights as part of that healthcare, so that you can't attack abortion clinics separate from from the general healthcare care uh, system it needs to be nationalized under democratic workers control, uh, but it's also part of the of the fight for $1,000 a week. Uh, minimum wage for a shorter working week. It's part of the fight for guaranteed free education, for free childcare, for free, affordable, quality food, uh, for guaranteed housing uh, with rent capped at 10 percent of income. So basically, this issue connects with all the demands for the kind of quality of life that will allow people to have a real. Choice uh, on on having a child without facing the risk of lifelong poverty and overwork, and really the fight for a socialist society. Right? These these are all socialist demands. It's part of the program that we fight for, uh, for workers' control over you know uh, over uh, all the main levers of the economy to be able to to provide a basic, decent, good standard of living to everyone.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point to end on. Um... We are socialists. We're not. We are fighting against every attack on the rights of the working class, on rights of working class women in particular in this case. And we're fighting. We're not just fighting for abstract rights. We're for. We're fighting for genuine material liberation from the the horrible conditions uh, that exist uh under capitalism and are increasingly getting worse uh and we are fighting i mean that we often say that the, the the choice is socialism or barbarism this is probably one of the most clearest examples of that so yeah uh we, so i guess you know to, to to finish off here join us join fight back or La post socialists in canada to fight to build the forces of marxism to fight for a socialist future to fight for socialism in our lifetime, to fight against attacks on abortion rights, to fight against attack on access on on all of the democratic rights, and and not just to fight a defensive fight, to fight for a socialism for a better form of society where we don't uh, we don't have to suffer this sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, to, to to get involved as well and with our comrades in the in the United States, with Laura and the comrades in the United States, with Socialist Revolution. Again, go to their website, Socialist org and and support them uh in the fight to uh uh, to 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 build an a workers party on a socialist program in the united states that can lead a broad struggle against the attacks uh, of the capitalist class and their parties and to fight for socialism in our lifetime you have been listening to this week in the canadian revolution where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca, and we will be doing this podcast every week.
1: So we hope that you tune in again.